0: So one critical piece of information that I neglected to mention this episode is that when you create an account with Tresorit, if you choose to do so, the username, the first name and the last name that you enter as part of your account is fixed permanently for the duration of the account. This is because that name is encoded into the encryption certificates and cannot be changed. So when you create your account, I would highly advise you to use something super generic like John Smith. Also, when you share files using Trezorit, your email address will be publicly visible to whomever you share those files to. So do keep that in mind when you're creating your email address. I will put together another lesson on how to structure and create a kink identity and brand in future. I've had a lot of experience doing that myself. So you might like to check that out before you begin to create your software security stack to protect your personally identifiable information, simply a recommendation. So today's lesson is on a simple set of security software that you can use as well as some best practices to help better protect your personal information. Now this is a huge topic and we are very explicitly not going to be dealing with physical safety, only protecting your personally identifiable information. So. Let's keep it narrow in scope and also limiting it to the idea of kink people doing this. So, why might you want to do this in a kink context, for example? So, as always, value up front and then explanations afterwards. Now, first of all, let me tell you what I use and how I use it. I find it best to always teach from my own example and my own first hand experiences. So the intention here is to protect your personally identifiable information. Now, it would be very disingenuous of me to continue to examine how to do that without first examining what exactly we need to protect your information from. So in this context, we're talking about disclosure, inadvertent or uh, non-deliberate exposure or disclosure. To people that you choose or haven't chosen to expose your personal information to. So I'm a very big believer in people owning their own property and people owning their own privacy. People should be able to control the information about themselves and reveal that to whomever they wish for whatever purpose they wish, but they should be in control of that process. So people in kink, um, in my experience, have not had a great track record with this sort of thing. You get people doing things like using their real names, using their full legal names, telling people quite candidly and casually about, you know, family members they might have or, uh, you know, where they live, where they work. And this sort of information has the potential to be used against you. Now I'm not saying that you should become a paranoid maniac, but I am saying that you should be smart about this. Use the tools and services that exist and follow a couple of simple social rules to minimize the risk to yourself. So here are the essentials that I think apply to everyone in Kink. So when it comes to Kink, you should absolutely have a separate and dedicated email address just for Kink stuff, which is where you register your FetLife profile. It's where you have people send you emails or nudes or correspondence, separate to any other email account that you might have. Now, there are lots of different services for this, but the easiest and the simplest one to use, as well as the one with the highest level of security, that I would suggest is ProtonMail. Now I could go into some of the alternatives and I might do it later on in this episode, but for now, ProtonMail, free account on ProtonMail, right? So create an email address. Now, when it comes down to creating an email address, you want to create an email address that says a little bit about yourself without saying anything about who you actually are, right? So you can make your email address your kink handle or your kink nickname, for example. So One of the ways that you protect yourself is by creating an alias. Now, some people do this. Some people have their alias be, okay. say for example, that their real name is John and their kink alias is Squishy, right? That's what everyone calls them, Squishy. Now, what you've got there is a very simple layer of obfuscation. So Squishy might be the name that he goes by, but that's not his real legal name. And if you were to type that into Google, it wouldn't come up with anything, right? Now he might make friends with people and over time let them know that his real name is John. And that is a piece of useful information that we could potentially use against him or other people could potentially use against him. It's hard to do that with just a first name, but say for example, John says something really specific about the industry that he works in. Say, say John says that he works in oil and gas for a particular company in a particular area. So now we have John's first name, the fact that he works as a C-level executive for a particular company in a particular area. And with just those two pieces of information, there's a pretty good chance that we could figure out exactly where John works and that someone could use that information against him. Now, if you're living in a modern first world country, the chances of someone you know, losing their job for having a kink affiliation is uh, not as high as it used to be, but it's still information that people should have control over. People should be able to choose who they reveal that information to. I'm a very firm believer in the individual's right to privacy. So John doesn't want to do that, right? John doesn't want to tell the whole world that he's really into, you know, being a deranged sadist on the weekends. So what you do is you create two layers of of obfuscation. Of obfuscation. You create a fake real name and then you create a handle or an alias from that. So, John might create a fake real name, Robert, and then his handle is Squishy. So everyone calls him Squishy, and then when he tells people his quote unquote real name, he just says it's a Robert, right? Now, you don't necessarily have to lie about this stuff. You know, you can use it as a way of creating an identity for yourself that's separate from your mainstream identity. You know, as again, You're always in control, or I believe that you should always be in control of the information that you choose to reveal to people. So you can choose to tell them whatever you like. But if people know that your nickname is Squishy, they're probably going to keep digging until they find what they think is your real name. So if you come up with a nickname that actually isn't your real name, but sounds like it could be a real name, most of the time they'll stop looking. So John creates the name Robert, who then has the nickname Squishy. Then he creates a proton mail account, right? Um, Squishy Speaks, or The Biggest Squish, or All About That Squish. No trouble, I'm all about that base. Anyway, so creates an email address with no personally identifiable information, right? You can tell from the information in the email address that his name is Squishy or his nickname is Squishy and that is who you're talking to, but it doesn't have, say, and I've, I've seen this used as an example, it doesn't have his first name, his legal last name, and his year of birth, which is all of the information that someone would need to potentially hurt you. Right? So email address, ProtonMail account, make a free one, put your kink alias in it, but use that alias as a part of a multi-level strategy for protecting your real name, your real legal name. Honestly, I maintain the policy that no one in kink, under any circumstances, should know my real legal name. First or last name. Now, you might think, but Daniel, I already know your name is Daniel. And you might think that. So yes, that's my policy. I would highly advise you to follow the same policy. We're dealing with people in kink. We're dealing with a percentage of the population that has markedly higher levels of mental instability than the average population. It is wise and prudent and intelligent to take all reasonable measures to protect yourself. So real legal name, fake legal name, alias in kink, email address that contains that alias but not anything about your actual name. Now you've got your phone number, right? Now some people choose to have a separate entire phone number for their kink contacts, and that's that's one way of doing things. Now depending on who you're trying to protect yourself against, it can be very difficult for that person, for, for anyone less than a nation state level actor or a large company, to track you down based on just your phone number. So I don't think the risk is really high there. Um, I don't use Facebook and I'm not on social media. so. I don't know whether you can do a reverse search of punch in someone's, you know, um, mobile number and it'll come up with their profile. But that's another thing to mention, you know, get off social media. Uh, Topic for another time to go into more detail there. But you might choose to have a separate phone. I think that's probably a bit excessive. What I would suggest instead is using Threema. Now, a lot of people use Kik, except that Kik is a piece of shit that isn't encrypted sells your information, and is just the most badly designed text and chat client I've literally ever seen. Like, there is an arbitrary limit of 50 people in group chats just because, right? Threema is a vastly superior piece of software. It's Swiss, it is European, it is beautifully designed, very functional and practical, and it's about $1.50 on the App Store. All right, so grab Threema, create your Threema ID, and then put that ID somewhere where people can find it. Now, if you want to, you can link up your phone number and your email address, your kink email address to that, so people that have that in their contacts book can search for it and find it. But I have read all of the cryptographic white papers uh, that both Signal and Threema have put out, and I'm a huge fan of their architecture, their security model, and their threat vector analyses. There are a little bit of, well, there really isn't much of a concern that I have around using those two pieces of software, Signal and Threema. Threema is the absolute number one, and Signal is a very close second, but I would always recommend that if you don't want to put your phone number out there, use Threema. Don't use Kik, don't use Telegram, you know, use Threema. It is just better. So that covers the essentials for everyone, email and texting and calling, so on and so forth. Now with your calling on Threema, it's all encrypted anyway, but they make a call to a Threema ID, which is like a random string of letters and numbers. So they don't know what your phone number is and they can't backtrace that to you. It's also possible to have entirely anonymous, large group chats of up to 256 members on Threema. Likewise with Signal as well, but not anonymous. Everyone, I think, can see everyone else's phone number when they post a message. That may be information that you would prefer to keep separate, in which case I would highly advise you or any groups that you run to switch to the to the one-two punch of using ProtonMail and Threema. Now, essentials for everyone, not just Kingsters: password bank and two-factor authentication. So, the best password bank software that exists that meets the most meets the usage case of the vast majority of people is called Bitwarden. I'll put links to all this stuff in the show notes. The two-factor authentication software that I recommend is called AUTHY, A-U-T-H-Y. Now, I'm probably going to get a bunch of emails from people saying, well, I read this and I read that. I guarantee you, I I guarantee you, I have done more research on this than you have. So if you want to email me about this stuff, cool. But there's a very high chance that I've already read those objections, and I'm saying these things with those objections in mind. So those are the essentials. ProtonMail for email. Threema for texting and phone calls and group chats, Bitwarden for password bank, and then Authy for two-factor authentication tokens. Now, let's talk about a few other pieces of software that you might find useful. Now, these are separate from the essentials. These are entirely optional pieces of software. So, one of the pieces of software is a VPN or a virtual private network. I'm not going to explain what a VPN is. I support MulVad because I've done the research and they have the strongest security model. They are entirely anonymous in their usage. You can even mail them cash with just your account number. They don't require an email address or a phone number, no personally identifiable information. They're brilliant. They're about mid-range in terms of price. So not the cheapest and not the most expensive, but again, extremely solid company. They are the best VPN that exists Period, full stop, end of story. Trust me, I've done more research than you on this. But I am open to having my mind changed. If you send me something that you think might change my mind, feel free. So use a VPN. Now, Telegram is what some international groups use to stay in touch because of the large amount of people that you can have in a single group um, and a bunch of other reasons. Now, Telegram isn't really encrypted, uh, but it does hide your identity fairly well. So you can have a little telegram handle, like a... Um, I think they based it off of Twitter's design, actually, where you can at someone. And, uh, but that's, it's a good way of obfuscating your identity without um, needing to show people your mobile number. But it's often used for communicating in large groups. The other piece of software that's often used for communicating in large groups is Matrix, which is an open-source, extensible communications framework and there's a bunch of different front ends that plug into Matrix, one of which is Element. So yeah, again, links to all this stuff. Now, all of the optional things are that, entirely optional. Now I run a VPN through all of my devices all of the time, and I don't have any real problems doing that. For browsing, again, optional, but just while we're on the topic, I use Brave and I highly recommend Brave. I'll also put that, links to that, and then links to the best privacy protection extensions for that in the show notes. So that covers software. Now there's one more thing that you might find really useful and this is something I touched on when I was putting together that list of uh, resources for HypnoKink content distribution. Um, So encrypted file sharing services. Now Dropbox is a steaming pile of human excrement and it's just crap. Started off with a great idea but their file size limitations are terrible their user interface is like literally unusable. So if you want an alternative to Dropbox, Box.com is vastly superior, but I advocate people use Trezorit and that's what I do when I'm sharing files with people. So I have a paid account on Trezorit, which means I can create things of an unlimited size or or a very high size, but even a free account on Trezorit will give you three gigabytes of space for free. Their desktop app, will allow you to synchronize with one other device or two devices. So you can have one installed on your phone and one installed on your computer. It's fully encrypted end to end with zero access encryption. If you don't know what those things mean, look them up. Just use it, right? Again, create the account with your highly secure ProtonMail account email address. Tie all of these things to that whenever they need an email address. So it's all separate. You're running this stuff as a parallel to your real world identity. So none of it overlaps. You're not using your work email on FetLife and you're not using your you know, personal phone number on you know, posting that on websites for people to find. You post a Threema ID instead so that people can connect to that. Now, again, when you're using Threema, if you don't wanna to connect to a phone number or an email address, you don't have to. It makes it a little trickier for people to find you, but just do what I do. Put your Threema account on your website or pass it out to people. I know people that have a contact card so that contact card is specific for kink, and it's basically their handle, not their real name, their handle, then where you can find them on FetLife, Then, so that their handle might be slightly different from their FetLife name, but they'll put their FetLife name or their FetLife like, URL on that card. So when I say a contact card, I mean like literally a business card. I've met people who have had uh, basically how to get in touch with me cards One of them literally said, how to get in touch with me, and then question mark, and then underneath that they had their FetLife username, their scene handle, their FetLife uh, URL, in case they ever change their username on FetLife for whatever reason, Um, their Threema ID, and their kink email address. So again, they've got a way for you to talk to them over the phone, got a way for you to email them via email, and they've got a way for you to find their main kink profiles. Now, some people also have a link tree, which is just a contact point aggregator. So some people have a link tree where you can go there. They just put the one address on there. And that's one of the other cards I've seen is the guy just put his link tree on there and then you go there and it accesses the discord, you know, the the telegram chat that he runs, um, his email address, rah, rah, rah. Right. so that's another option you can do. Now, I'll put some links into where you can print off cheap, super cheap business cards, but Vistaprint does like packs of 50, plain white front and back, black text for like 20 bucks. Shipped, you know, like this stuff is not expensive. You can give these things out to people, but as a general rule, I've always had much more success gathering up contact details from people and making the first communication myself. Normally when I'm teaching a class, I will have someone do that while I'm teaching. And people can put their kink email addresses down on a list or subscribe to the newsletter. I find it's always better to be proactive when establishing connections with someone, get their contact details, and then get in touch with them, rather than putting the burden of effort on them to get in contact with you. So that's the essentials and then some optional extras. So the things that I use day-to-day, basically my everyday carry, you know, air quotes kind of stack, is Threema, a ProtonMail account email address, and then a Trezoret account, which is registered to the ProtonMail account, which is a Kink-specific address, the wordsmithspeaks at pm.me. Now, one of the cool things you can do when you're establishing your Kink identity is you can add, you can add suffixes or prefixes to your Kink username or your Kink handle in case someone already has that email address. So say, for example, your name is Squishy, might be hard to find squishy at protonmail.com. One thing to mention here is what you can do is when you get your ProtonMail account, even on your free one, uh, you can shorten your email address to something, something, something at pm.me. Now it's shorter and it definitely looks cooler, but I've often found that when I'm reading it out to people over the phone, they don't know what what I'm talking about, so I just find it easier to say ProtonMail.com, because they can spell that out easier, phonetically speaking. So yes, um, all linked up to your ProtonMail account, which is of course your kink identity. Now because you can't change your email account, sometimes you might like to link it to something that has nothing to do with your kink username in case you ever want to change your kink username or your kink identity or your FetLife handle or your whatever it is. So you might like to just have a random email address like one billion and one in words at protonmail.com or something simple and catchy and memorable. You can use things like username generators online. Again, I'll put some links in the show notes, but to come up with like combinations of words that no one's thought of before to register them as an email address. So there's the basics and then there's some optional extras there now let's talk about social rules and threat vectors so once you've got your software stack up and running which is really simple to do by the way um, now just a word on profile images what i like to do is i like to install the unsplash application on my phone and then whenever someone comes up in my you know threema contacts that doesn't have a cool picture i will just type a random word or so into Unsplash, grab an image, and then use that as their profile picture. So if you don't have a profile picture for yourself, grab one because it's really annoying staring at an empty circle. Uh, But that's just another little hint that I do. Let's talk about social rules and threat vectors. So social rules, there is information about you that is more dangerous to have other people know than some other information about you. So things that are pretty harmless, and again, I'll put a link to all of this stuff in the show notes, but things that are pretty harmless, things like how tall you are or your shoe size, or you know whether you prefer Coles or Woolworths, right? Things that are more dangerous. This is a much shorter list. You must protect this information much more strenuously than you would anything else. Anything that can be used by itself or in small combinations with other pieces of information to determine how old you are, your full legal name, where you live or where you work. Information like that must be protected very carefully. So things like your full legal name, or in particular, your last name, your family name, which more identifies you than your first name. Things like your date of birth, or even the month that you were born in, the year that you were born in, where you live, where you work, the names of your family, the names of your pets. This is information that is privileged and should not be shared with people in kink. As a general rule, I would never tell anyone that I met through kink these things. That's just how I would do it. You might have different standards, but you know I've seen way too many people go into a relationship, have it just explode and all of a sudden, bad things are happening to them because they've been accused of things or because I've been accused of things. So act wisely and intelligently to protect yourself. Don't share that information with people that you meet in kink. It's very much like tipping a bucket of bait into a piranha tank, right? People in kink are incredibly nosy, right? Let me recount something that happened to you recently to give you an example of why I've developed some of these rules. And again, I'll put all of the rules that I currently have, as well as some other good ones that you might like to follow in the show notes. But something happened a couple of months ago now. So I met a girl at a board games event, right? Fun, casual. She was kind of cute, right? We hit it off. I think I gave her my phone number. No, my email address. I gave her my email address. That's right. And we started emailing back and forth, right? And then that progressed to phone calls. And then on our first phone call, which only lasted for 20 minutes, but about a third of the way through the conversation, she asked me what my full legal name was and for my date of birth and i said i'm not sure why you need to know that and her response was word for word so that i can stalk you online that's that's why she wanted that information right now i'm i'm very traditional when it comes to getting to know someone i like to get to know the person themselves i don't really pay any attention to myths or rumors or bias or ancient history or what other people tell me that I should think about someone. I base my experiences and my opinions of someone off of the work that they do, the content they produce, the people they hang around, but pretty much 95% of it is my own personal interactions with that person, right? So I like to get to know the person. I don't want them, in fact, I actually tell people not to send me their FetLife profiles before I have a first date with them because I like to know who they are as a person without any preconceived notions. I like to go into that and get to know them as a person rather than just a list of fetishes. It's amazing the number of women online that will say, I'm so tired of guys treating me like a list of fetishes and who will then insist that you check out their FetLife page so that you can, you know, treat them like a list of fetishes before your first date. Like, I, I wanna go on a date with someone, have a cup of coffee, go for a walk in the park, talk about life, and get to know them as a person. So I'm not interested in finding out someone's last name or where they work or what their political views are. You know, I'm I'm not interested in judging people like that. But this person was. And that sparked off a conversation which ultimately led to a huge amount of drama being introduced into my life. Because I refused to tell this complete stranger what my Facebook account was or what my FetLife profile was or what my full name was, my full legal name, right? And I asked them why they wanted that and it was for the express purposes of them stalking me, right? Like, and this is not an uncommon thing. This has happened to me multiple times. This has happened to people that I know multiple times. This has happened to a lot of people that I know of, right? It is just insane. And and what was almost as bad was, the fact that she was willing to offer up to a total stranger. I said to her, I don't want to share that information with you. I don't feel comfortable with that right now. We don't know each other and I don't know anything about you, right? You could be totally crazy. And then she starts to tell me that her full legal name is this. And this is the suburb that she lives in. And this is the work that she does. I'm like, I don't wanna know these things. I don't wanna know them about you. And you telling these things to me doesn't make me wanna share this personal information about myself with you, right? Now, it came out later that she wanted to know all those things for a bunch of other reasons too, mostly because she's very insecure. And I would caution you against dating people that need to know every single thing about you on a first date, because that's an unusual situation. I don't share that information about myself because I'm not a moron. And I would highly encourage you not to either. So again, employer defense in depth strategy, pick a quote unquote real name that's not your actual legal name, right? So that when people are on a date with you and they say, oh, you know, so what's your name? And I say, Daniel, they go, cool. That's a cool name, I can call you that. You know, cause calling you like night sweeper 666 or something in public is a bit weird. It's a bit of a mouthful. You know, whatever your kink handle is. Everyone thinks they've got such a cool handle. Sometimes they do. But I love that scene in Avengers Endgame where, you know, Spider-Man's like, oh, so we're using our made-up names now. You know, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I see a lot of that pretentiousness in kink. I've never introduced myself as anything other than Daniel or the wordsmith. Well, not not to my recollection. So, threat vectors when it comes to kink. Uh, there's predators that are trying to hurt you. These are both male and female. I've met quite a few female predators. Now, these women do things that uh, if a guy was to do them, he would be instantly castigated and cast out of the community, quote unquote, community. But uh, as I've seen them get away with it time and time and time and time again, and it's almost always women targeting other women So female predators targeting other women in this way. And and there are male predators too. Uh, I tend to not notice them as much because I don't think there are as many of them as people think there are, but I also am not interested in men sexually, so I don't really pay any attention to that. And those guys don't pay any attention to me. So the other threat vector is the mob. Now in kink, what you have is a huge Level of cognitive dissonance. People in King will claim that they accept and welcome and understand and tolerate everyone, unless you happen to fall outside of an extremely narrow band of political, social, religious, and sexual viewpoints. In which case, you are literally a non-person. I always love the Russian expression persona non grata. Just Russian is such a beautiful language. German too. French as well. Ah, oh, Spanish. So many beautiful languages. That's what diversity looks like, right? Languages. So many beautiful languages, each with their own idioms, their own geography, their own maps of meaning, their own ways of expressing the relationships between objects and space. You know, their own gendered... Yeah, when I was learning Spanish, I, I thought to myself, this is strange, everything has a gender now? Like, I can't recall from memory, but I think a table is masculine, but a chair is feminine? just because. I'm sure there's a deeper reason for that, but that's not a concept that we have in English. A chair is just a chair. But that's what real diversity looks like. And people in kink are not as much about diversity as you would think they are based on what they say. So it's possible for you to do something or say something or to be in the wrong place at the wrong time or to be friends with the wrong person or to not know something about that person and for the mob to turn on you. Now, in both of these cases, being stalked and pursued by a dangerous predator and being stalked and attacked by a dangerous mob, the prevention is the same, right? So protect your personally identifiable information. Don't tell anyone in kink. Again, you you can make your own damn choices, but these are the things that I would highly advise you to do. I would highly advise you not to tell the people in kink your last legal name, your legal last name. I would highly advise you to make up a fake, legal-ish sounding first name. Have a handle that you use for everything, right? Don't tell people where you live. Don't tell them what company you work for. Don't really talk about the work that you do, especially if you work in a very specific or niche field where it would be easy to track you down and find out where you work. You know, like I've had people that I know work in the far north of Queensland on oil and gas platforms. And I've said to them, don't tell people where you work because there's only one oil and gas platform in that whole fucking area. So of course he works there. You know, like these are are stupid things that you have to do to protect yourself from a group of insane lunatics who will try to ruin your life for very often, no reason at all. And the threat model, protecting yourself from that is exactly the same way that you would protecting yourself from a persistent stalker or predator right do not walk down dark alleyways in the middle of the night wearing a short skirt in a bad part of town by yourself right I wish that it wasn't the case I really do I wish that the world was a safe place for everyone to do that but that's not how things are all right do not tell people in kink where you work right the way that I would do that I was I would I would talk about the industry that you work in in a very general sense because that gives people enough to talk about enough enough to work with, right? For example, I used to work in a hospital. So I would say rather than I did job X in a hospital, I would say I used to work in the healthcare industry, right? And I've got some really great stories about working in different areas of the healthcare industry. So now I can tell those stories and get to know somebody without being hyper-specific about, you know, the place that I worked, which might be too much personally identifiable information. Now. You don't need to be paranoid about any of this stuff. This isn't being paranoid. This is about protecting yourself, right? It's about being smart. It's about you having choice, right? I'm a big fan of people having choices. You get to choose who you reveal these parts of your life to. Now, if you're dating someone and things are getting serious and they ask you, you know, where do you work and so on and so forth, it might be okay for you to tell them those things, right? It might not. I've known people in kink that worked in government, that worked in federal government, that worked in particular branches of the federal government associated with the security services and the military, right? So those people could never tell their partner what they did for a living. They would say, I work for the state government or they work for some government agency that wasn't actually the agency they worked for. Or maybe they're allowed to tell their partner where they work and, and what they do day to day. I strongly suspect that they are not, but you know, reveal to people the amount of information that you feel comfortable revealing to them, knowing that once it's out there, it's very hard to take it back. Now, this goes as well for anyone that you're in a relationship with. If the mob comes for you as it has for me multiple times because of several false accusations that have been made against me multiple years ago, now, four, maybe five years ago, possibly a little less than that. It's important to prioritize your own defense and the defense of the people that you are responsible for and that are in a relationship with you because these people, unlike a stalker, they will broaden the scope of who they think it is okay to attack. I've had people come up to me at kink events after having a conversation with someone and say, Oh, I should not have talked to that person. It's my life and I will talk to whomever I wish to talk to. And I will make up my own damn mind about who's a good person, who's a bad person. Show me the evidence, right? And I will make up my own mind. I will not have my mind made up for me. I encourage and have always have encouraged in both my slaves and my partners that kind of rigorous self-examination. So, Protecting yourself from the mob means never putting yourself in a position where they know things about you that could be used to hurt you. So don't tell them where you live. Don't tell them where you work. Don't tell them your last name. Don't even tell them your real first name. Definitely do not tell them when you were born or how old you are. I usually add one or two years to my age when I'm talking to people in kink. And I had a couple of people notice this years ago. They thought I was, you know, 27, and I told someone else that I was 28. So what you do is you pick an age that's one or two years off your actual age and then tell them that. That's because there might be someone, say, born in that particular area with the same name in that particular year and that identifies you too specifically. It is amazing how little information you need to uniquely identify a person, right? Usually their last name and the job they do and the city they live in is enough. All right. Although I did Google John Smith pediatrician once, and yeah, there's like a lot of John Smiths out there. So if you want to pick John or something generic as your fake real name, that's fine. If you want to pick something a bit more, I don't know, a little bit more energetic like Alberto or something like that, something a little bit more classy, that can be fine too. Because it's not linked to a real identity, there's no danger. So you can make up whatever you like just so long as it's consistent. Make up a fake real name and have that be your official fake real name. Now, it's important to maintain an attitude of positivity throughout all of this, right? You're not having to protect yourself against these people because you're inherently a bad person. This is an insurance policy against changing times, right? One of the insane things about these cancel culture PC babies is things that were okay yesterday are all of a sudden not okay today, right? So, for example, there are certain words referring to African Americans that were fine to use 10 years ago or five years ago that you can't use now because the rules are always changing. And the reason that they are changing, as a lot of these PC babies will claim, is that you know, social mores are changing, blah, blah, blah. What they don't realize is that they're being effectively manipulated on a large scale into accelerating the destruction of the society that has created the world that allows them to have the opinions, dress the way they want, vote the way they want, and live the way they choose to in whichever way pleases them, provided they're in accordance with the law. This is not some organic acceleration of social norms. This is speech control through thought control. Jordan Peterson was, uh, I don't wanna say martyred because he's still alive, but he was definitely pilloried for speaking out against the totalitarian authoritarianism of speech control. So it's not a case of protecting yourself because uh, your privacy isn't important to you. It's a case of protecting yourself because Things that are okay now might not be okay in five years' time. This is the same reason that I don't have social media. I'm not on Twitter, I'm not on Instagram, I'm not on Facebook, I'm not on anything, right? If someone wants to get in touch with me, I've got a phone number and I'll give them that, or I'll give them my Threema ID, or I'll give them my email address, right? But if someone won't get in touch with you because they're afraid to text you, Chances are that person has some issues, right? And I've always suggested email as an alternative to that because email is, you know, it's not linked to a phone number. You can make a new email address much more easily than you can get a new phone number. So I suggest, you know, let's talk over email until you feel comfortable and then we can talk on the phone or you can call me on Threema, which doesn't require that you give me your phone number. Brilliant, brilliant. I love... The design of their cryptographic architecture is just amazing. I'm such a huge fan of their work, right? Now, with all of this in mind, you might think to yourself, well, if I have to protect myself against the people in kink, waking up one morning and deciding that all of a sudden I'm a racist or a sexist or a Nazi or whatever the current life-destroying personal attack of the week is, What's the point in engaging with these people at all? Well, the thing about that is, there really isn't, right? This is a lesson that I'll be covering in the future, but there are three primary functions of a community. Socialization, education, and sex. Right? And kink, in Australia and in my personal experience, again, I can only speak from my own personal experience, massively fails to fulfill any one of those three criteria for being, in my view, considered to be a functional community. What you have instead are a group of people that enjoy the same sexual acts that occasionally hang out with each other in a context where they can do or witness those sexual acts, but that's not a community. right? There's, there's no depth to that. Now, I've asked quite a few people in kink over the last I don't know, several years of my involvement here in Australia. You know, do you know anyone in kink? Having been involved in kink themselves for a couple of years, do you know anyone in kink that you could call right now if your car broke down on the side of the freeway and you needed help to come change a tire? Would they do it? And about upwards of 75%, upwards of about 70% of people have said no, they don't know a single person in kink that would meet that criteria. Of being a friend, right? So there's not a huge amount of value in being deeply, deeply enmeshed within kink. Now that may be very different in other countries. From what I hear in America and in Europe, things are done very differently and in a much more organized, disciplined and constructive fashion. And I take my hats off to you. The Europeans and the Americans, they tend to have much better ideas of how to run these sorts of things. And I am working on a lesson on how to structure a kink community for maximum growth and education. So keeping you around for that one too. But we've talked about security. We've talked about you know, some of the software that you can use that's essential, some of the software that you can use that's optional. We've talked about the threat vectors and some of the social rules that I have you know don't tell people in kink your real legal name you know have them round to your house if you feel comfortable with that but you know you might feel more comfortable meeting in a hotel room or and again this is sort of touching on the area of physical safety that's a big chunky area and it's not one that i have a lot of experience in honestly as a as a fairly fairly built guy i i'm aware that i have less of a risk factor. As a fairly built straight guy who is intelligent and doesn't get himself into dangerous situations, I'm aware that I don't have a huge amount of practical experience at what's necessary to avoid physical danger in a kink and sexual context. So perhaps I might ask some friends of mine to chime in on that, but off the top of my head, there are a couple of things. Now, cautioning, this is an incomplete list, but when it comes to physical safety, these are some of the protocols that I've insisted that the people that I meet on a date or meet for a training weekend, observe. And honestly, it is fucking mind-blowing how many people just do not do this shit. Like, it's just fucking mind-blowing to me, right? So if you're meeting someone in public for the first time, meet them in public for the first time, right? So meet at a place where you are surrounded by lots of people, at a place where you can leave, where you aren't trapped, right? Don't make your first date a movie, Where you're stuck there in the dark, awkward for two hours. Make your first date coffee in a public place, right? Then pivot from there to another public place that's, you know, outside, right? I like to go and have coffee and then get the coffee and then walk rather than sitting down, right? I'll walk around the block or walk along the street or walk through a park together in a public place. Now, when I'm on a date with someone, I will always make sure that we are not alone together on a first date. Well, typically, unless we know each other quite well. So if I'm meeting someone for the first time and we've spoken a couple of times on the phone or texted back and forth a little bit, I will make sure that I wander through an area with lots of witnesses for my safety as well as theirs. Now, again, this is a non-exhaustive list of physical safety things you can do. Now, if someone is going on a date with me, I will almost always tell them to tell someone else who they're going on a date with. Now, I've had some people insist that I send them a photograph of my driver's license, and I have always blacked out my birthday and my last name in those cases. I'm trying to think if I've ever actually sent someone an unedited copy of my driver's license, but no. If if the police need to get involved for any reason, um, you know, your driver's license number and your first name will be more than enough information because the cops have access to resources that you just don't. So they can run your name and your number, your first name and your number through the database and pull you out instantly. But an ordinary person can't, right? So I've, I've sent people a copy of my driver's license with my last name and my date of birth blacked out because that's personally identifiable information that a normal person could abuse. But if they needed to, they could go to the police and look up my driver's license number and find me that way, right? I have always encouraged people to have a safe call, and I haven't forced people to. But I've actually encouraged people to multiple times. That I'm on a date with someone, like, you know, hey, it's going to be you know three hours, or, or we've been on this date for three hours now. Why don't you give someone a quick call and just let them know that you're okay, you know, or, or send them a text or something, right? Or let's send them a photograph of the two of us together. Right, Like a selfie of the two of us to prove that she's okay and that she's out in public and she's not being taken advantage of in a way that she isn't consenting to. Although, my God, being taken advantage of in public is pretty fucking hot too. I uh, I know a lot of girls that are into that. So yeah, safe calls, great. Now, the thing about this is if a girl insists on them, it can come across as really fucking weird. Right? Like It is the sort of thing that someone who has been abused or damaged in the past would insist on. So I never really ask why because I don't have an objection to them morally, but sometimes that does raise a bit of a red flag about whether this girl has a lot of trauma because that's the kind of advice that someone who has a lot of trauma would get from people. You know, don't put yourself in unsafe situations. It's amazing how awkward someone with a lot of past trauma can make an otherwise fun date if they need to stop every hour and, and they make it such a huge deal, right? Like, yeah, I've been on some really good dates that were otherwise ruined by someone being super awkward about their safe calls, you know, checking in every hour. Or conversely, they were texting their friend the entire time, the entire 90 minutes before I basically pulled the plug. You know, I'm like, if your phone is in your hand constantly, that's not a safe call. It means you're just on your phone. And that's one of the things that I find really rude and disrespectful. I've come this way, you know, to meet you, to spend some time getting to know you. You know, you're still here. If you want to bail, bail. But don't be sitting here on your phone the entire time. That's just pointless. How am I supposed to get to know you when you're texting your BFF about how well the date's going? So yeah, pet peeve of mine. But that's not a safe call. That's just ignoring your date. Um, don't be alone with someone on a first date, right? So stay in public, stay in public areas. Roosh V wrote a really controversial article. He was suggesting a hypothetical solution to rape. And the hypothetical solution to rape was changing the law. And again, this is hypothetical, but it's changing the law God, it was years ago that I read this. So that any time a woman was alone with a man, basically she had to be aware that like sex was a possibility. The idea being that women control access to their bodies. Right? Rape definitely happens. I'm not saying that it doesn't, but you know, it's he was arguing a particular point, and I encourage you to read the article and you know make up your own mind on this as to whether it's effective or reasonable. Personally, I think it's interesting, his viewpoint on this. But he was basically saying that if a woman chooses to be alone with a man that she's not in a relationship with, she is essentially saying, I am okay with whatever happens because I am choosing to be alone with him. He was emphasizing personal responsibility in an age where men are often forced to take responsibility for someone else's decisions, and women are often encouraged not to take responsibility for their own decisions, or held to any kind of social standard or accountability. So yeah, so don't be alone with a man on a first date. Simple, right? Be around other people, right? Now there's obviously more things you can do on the topic of physical safety, but that's some very basic ones that I know of that I've encouraged people to use. Like Again, I won't usually be alone with someone on a first date, you know? I'll touch them, but I won't be alone with them on a first date. Second date is when things really heat up, right? So, yeah. But this is more about protecting your personally identifiable information. So use an encrypted email address, right? Install the app on your phone. Use it as a separate kink email address. Do not use your work email address or your personal email address. Use Threema for texting and phone calls. Use Molvad to protect. I've gone through all this software before, essentials and non-essentials. But the big thing is, Don't tell people your real, full, legal name. Don't tell them where you work. Don't tell them where you live. Don't tell them how old you are, right? Don't tell people your last name, full stop, unless you trust them. Make up a fake first name and use that instead. Add a year or take a year off or a year or two from your real, you know, age, right? Um. You know don't tell people the exact building that you work in don't tell people the exact address of your house what i've often done is say i you know i i live in a suburb that's actually next to the suburb that i live in right like i used to say to people i live in heidelberg in melbourne right i didn't live in heidelberg heidelberg was like two suburbs away from where i actually lived but it kind of served two purposes there one heidelberg is a very recognizable suburb and two People weren't asking because they wanted to know exactly what suburb I lived in. They wanted to know which side of the city I lived on because they were trying to plan the logistics of coming out to spend time with me. So I said, I live in this suburb, which is close enough to my suburb for the purposes of logistics planning. Don't tell people the exact address of your house. Don't invite them to your home unless you trust them. And yeah, don't tell people where you work. I would go so far as to say, Don't even tell people the company that you work for. Just say that you work in a particular industry. Now, obviously you have real friends and you can tell all of those things to your real friends, but your kink friends are not really your real friends, right? In kink, there is a much, much higher percentage of people in kink with mental illnesses, instabilities, dysfunctions, and you are trying to protect yourself from the occasional bad actor, right? You are trying to protect yourself from predators and you are trying to protect yourself from the insane mob. And thankfully, you can protect yourself very effectively from both of those things by doing the exact same things because the mob is the same as a predator and predators act the same as a mob, except that they're one person, right? But the same principles still apply. Protect that information very carefully. People in kink very often I mean, obviously it's probably different elsewhere in the world, but, you know, I've been involved in kink here in Australia for several years, and it is amazing the number of people that will turn on you at the mere rumor of a rumor of something that you might have done. Now, if that person was a real friend, they might take the time to talk to you about their concerns, ask you for your side of things. But people in kink, and again, I, I hate to tar them all with the same brush, but in my experience, are far too willing to receive news of rumors and, and attacks on someone's reputation without questioning the motives of the person saying those things, asking for any kind of evidence, or even giving someone the opportunity to speak their side of the story. I've seen this happen to so many young male dominants. And it's like all these female submissives that claim to want a more inclusive and understanding community, they're the worst people at this stuff, right? They're the people that are at the forefront. They are the people with the pitchforks and the lit torches driving out anyone that disagrees with them. There is a huge amount of power politics going on in kink. And I would strongly advise any young man basically to not involve himself to any significant degree with this quote-unquote community, at least not in Australia. Again, internationally, it may be different, but... I have always counseled people to go along to one or two events, get a feel for the kinds of people. And you'll know what I mean by this because you can take the average of the room pretty easily and understand that pretty much all of kink events in that area are gonna be like that because it'll be the same tiny group of people going to these tiny events and put your time and energy into developing yourself as a dominant. You don't need a community to give you permission to be yourself. You don't need a group of random strangers to tell you that you're allowed to enjoy sex or do things in bed. Honestly, the happiest and healthiest people that I've ever met in kink were fit, attractive, took care of themselves, took themselves seriously, and rigorously minimized their involvement in kink events. Right? So what I've seen people do is The timeline is roughly something like this. They discover this, they think, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. They think there are super happy, hot, horny, mentally healthy submissives everywhere. They get really, really into it for three months or so, or six months or so, and start defining their whole identity around this the same way that gay, lesbian, and bisexual, and transgender people often do. They turn that one thing into who they are as a person for a period of time, right? which is not healthy or functional. You need to be balanced in your interests. You're not just gay. There's more to you than that. Well, hopefully there is. You have much more to offer the world than just your sexual orientation. So please stop defining everything about yourself by who you like fucking, or the way that you like fucking them. Then, you know, the the honeymoon period starts to sort of taper off. They realize that it's the same small group of people going to the same small groups of events. They're looking around for a deeper level. They're looking around for, uh, you know, for this elite mythological kink society that's supposed to underlie all of this stuff. But, you know, they, they look around and eventually they realize that kink is like this and this is all there is, and that you will not find the answers that you are looking for in this. It's very unlikely that you will, right? The answers that you're looking for about who you are and the things you like, the answers for those questions will come from inside of you. Right, No one else can tell you who you are, I mean, unless you're into that. But you will have a better chance of finding out who you are by doing things, evaluating whether you liked it or not, and then asking yourself questions and guiding yourself through a structured process of self-discovery. Right. Now, there are lots of pitfalls about being involved in the kink community, quote-unquote community, and I will do a separate lesson on those at some point, but it's a long topic and it can be quite accurately summarized up with don't be super involved in the kink community unless it's a position of volunteering for events that that tends to be a sweet spot where you can get most of the benefit out of it without any real drama but uh and again my experience is limited to the australian scenes so yeah perth melbourne brisbane the gold coast that whole area um, it's all pretty much the same. The same power politics, the same petty infighting, the same completely dysfunctional groups of people, just repeated with slightly different um, hairstyles and slightly different tastes in clothing. I've never been into Sydney in my whole life, although I do look forward to going to visit at some point. I've got some good friends down there that are all desperately trying to get out of Sydney. Although I hear the kink scene there is shit. And I haven't been to Adelaide because it's, well, it's quite a ways away from really anywhere else, and quite a small city as far as cities go. But that's a basic security stack and some simple rules around disclosing personally identifiable information to help protect you from some of the threat vectors that are present in the kink quote unquote community. Now, I'm just gonna go back through everything and summarize it up like we usually do. So essential software, then optional software, then don't tell people these things about yourself, then understand that the mob can change. This is the, the ancient argument is like, well, if you have nothing to hide, well, why would you hide your information? It's like, well, the thing about that is I have nothing to hide right now, but the internet is forever, right? People can write something years ago and then have it be wrong then but have people still refer to it now as though it's true. The tastes of the times do change, but not nearly as quickly as the people at the front of that mob claim that they do, right? This is not about the tastes of the times. This is about power. It is about getting people out and making an example of getting them out of this group. It is always about a system of ideological control that says that you are allowed to think, feel, and speak only this narrow spectrum of things, and anything else will result in your excommunication from our religion. Because essentially that's what an ideology is. It becomes a religion, it becomes cultish, and it's it's filtering out of people that don't subscribe or ascribe to the in-group norms. And evidence of this can be found whenever you ask a question that people don't like you asking. Like, like, why do I have to stop talking to that person? Well, because if you don't stop talking to that person, a good half of the people in the entire community in this area will blacklist you. Wow, what have you done wrong? You talked to the wrong person. You asked the wrong questions. You said the wrong things at the wrong times to the wrong person. Or well, maybe they just changed their mind afterwards and decided that they were okay with it in the moment, but that they can change their mind about an event after it happens. Maybe that happens to you, right? If you've protected your personal information, then you have an option. You have choices as to how you respond. You have choices as to who you disclose that information to. It's your choice. You're in control of that, right? And that's always the best place to be, is to be in control of how out of control you choose to be. That's the advice that I give to submissives. It's the advice that I give to switches. It's the advice that I give to dominance when they give themselves over to those higher impulses, those carnal, primal, instinctive urges, you are in control of how out of control you choose to be. And you should only ever be as out of control as you choose to be, as you feel comfortable with. So this applies almost as equally to your personal information. It it maps almost perfectly as an analogy, right? So if you know these things and no one else does, then you can choose who you reveal them to. If everyone knows them, then unfortunately it only takes one bad person to have a bad day or think they've had a bad experience, and they can cause a lot of drama in your life. There was a guy in Sydney called The Wolf, and he went to court and was found innocent, as I fully expected that he would be, of all of the charges that were laid against him. From memory, I think he was accused of raping one or multiple people, but his argument was that the, the sex was consenting at the time they had you know, specifically sought out this person to have those non-consensual experiences with him. Um, and there were a few times when I think they, they asked him to stop and he actually did. So I don't know the specifics of that, would be worth looking that up, but he's the perfect example. He's the fucking poster child for this because he was accused of these things by a violent and vitriolic, passionately hateful, kink scene in Sydney. And then it spread across the entire country because these people have no fucking lives and they fucking love drama. It is a self-reinforcing negative feedback loop of, someone did a bad thing, ooh, who is that? It's just schoolyard childishness all over again. And you would think that these fully grown adults had grown out of this, Unfortunately, they lack the mental and emotional maturity to separate fantasy from reality. So, this guy's life was completely destroyed. I believe, from memory, his wife and, well, wife left him and took the children. I'm fairly confident that he lost his job. And from this point onwards, throughout the history of time, you know, his name will be forever associated with this thing, but no one will bother to read to the second line of those news releases where they found him innocent. So, yes. You know, protecting your personal information is a valuable, valuable thing to do. Don't tell people in kink where you live, blah, blah, blah. I've said all this before. I don't need to go through the dozens of examples that I can think of off the top of my head of people being accused of things and then later found innocent, but, but then it doesn't matter because the damage is done. That's the fucking point. That's what happens when you burn people at the stake. You wake up the next morning and go, well, shit, maybe she wasn't a witch. Ah, well too late, right? It's the same kind of insanity, the same kind of abdication of personal responsibility that fueled the Salem witch trials, that fuels book burnings, that fuels you know, pogroms and purges. That mob mentality is dangerous and volatile. And I know a lot of people, when I was in Melbourne and I was accused of a few things, falsely accused of a few things, and I had a lot of people message me privately saying, Hey, I know you're innocent. I know you didn't do those things. But I'm never going to speak to you again. Because if I do, I will be thrown out just like you have been. And I totally understand that, right? I wouldn't do that if the situations were reversed. I would stand up for my friends. But, you know, I guess I'm just a better person than they are. And I accept that. I've put a lot of work into being a better person. So that's not surprising to me. But. There are a lot of people who don't understand the real purpose of the use of terrorism in these group contexts is not about you know making sure that the community is safe it is about fear and control they don't want these things brought into the light they don't want questions asked they don't want someone to have the chance to speak their piece or tell their side of the story or have an equal footing to defend themselves against the accusations that have been made against them. They don't even want that person to know what accusations have been made or by whom. Because then they would have to treat this situation like an adult. Then they would have to say, well, there's two sides to every story. So let's find out both sides. Let's make up our own minds. No. A lot of the times in these situations, it is bullying. It's bullying by a group of people pretend to be the victims in order to use fear to exert social control, right? And a lot of the time people in these situations stand by and do nothing and they allow it to happen because they're terrified of being next. I've had several people say to me, I can't talk to you ever again. I can't be seen with you in public ever again. I'm happy to be your friend in private, but they're terrified of their reputation being destroyed alongside the accusations against me. And they know that there'll be no justice, there'll be no trial, there'll be no opportunity to present evidence or hear both sides. They know that if they're seen in public talking to me, that they'll be treated the exact same way. Now, when people in the real world are accused of a crime, they're given a trial. If they can't afford a defender, one is appointed for them. This is how a functional legal system works. Things in kink rarely get to the stage of having a formal arbitration process because it operates on the level of reputational damage and hearsay. That's the whole point. So, more and more, I find myself giving the advice to young people, particularly young men and women, to simply avoid kink. There are much better, healthier, happier ways to spend your time, and you can have amazing, rough, dominant, aggressive sex in bed, without needing the approval of an entire group of random strangers to personally supervise your sexual exploits. You don't need them. They provide almost nothing of value, at least here in Australia. Again, situation may be different overseas where mentoring might be more widespread or educational opportunities more consistent. But here, I've been advising people to stay out of kink for years. It's a shame because I see shadows of what it was and I see the echoes of what it could be, but it has a lot of problems. And unfortunately the problems are not what a lot of people think those problems actually are. Protect your personal information so that it's your choice as to whom you disclose that to and when you tell them and why. You can find my contact details on the website. Thank you for listening to the MindKink podcast. I hope that you found it useful and that you will implement the things you've learned to bring more joy into your life. You can find more content including the free book, a folder of templates and printable handouts, heaps of audio files, and much more at the website mindkink.net. Feel free to send me a short email or to get in touch using the details on the contacts page. I always enjoy hearing from people who have benefited from my work.